0: going on y'all welcome back to the cold seat podcast where the seats are cold but the takes are hot a little bit of a hiatus if you will um had finals and stuff we had to get to or kind of right after the draft um kind of had to go home uh, i know personally i had some uh some stuff kind of uh personal life stuff I had to take care of when i got home kind of unexpected uh stuff to deal with but that's life um that's kind of how it goes sometimes um kind of gotta take the time to take care of what's um you know important and that kind of thing but uh, we're back today, getting the episode out to you guys on the 22nd of May, uh, Monday today. Yeah, Monday days are running again. It's all right though. Um, they're gonna go kind of a regular cold seat episode, a little bit heavier today. Probably get a recap of what happened, what has happened in the NBA playoffs. Obviously, it's been you know been a bunch of series that finished up, and we're on the verge of two more finishing up. Um, one with an elimination game tonight. Uh, same goes for hockey. Um, had a bunch of series finish up as well. We're two games deep into each series in the conference finals. Um, obviously had a, a lot of golf in the last few weeks. Um, you know, certainly with um the PGA championship yesterday finishing up yesterday is an awesome tournament, awesome weekend of golf. Um, you know, a lot of games, college baseball, uh, conference tournaments are set. We'll talk about those. Finally getting an MLB standings update. We're kind of a substantial point in the season where uh, kind of grouping's trying to take shape in these divisions. Um teams have kind of gone on their every I feel like every team's gone on their run, hot or cold, one of the two. Um, and everyone's kind of for the most part. I think how the season is likely going to play out is, um, you know, barring some sort of monster run, um, good or bad, kind of like the Yankees or the Dodgers had last year. And we are probably going to see this kind of how the, the the races will kind of shape up here. Um, is there about, like, you know, what, a quarter of the way into the year ish um, in baseball, which is great. And then not a lot of NFL news. Um, just a few things. And then we'll get into the ice bath to finish it off. But you guys know, we always started out turning up the heat. Um, I'll start today. Um, I'll just keep my keep my thoughts rolling here. Um, big weekend. Obviously, um, You know, Texas, Texas Tech in general, uh, sports have been a little quiet, but on the recruiting trail, they've had um, kind of a big few weeks um, having a visit with uh, Consensus 5 Star Plus, uh, Micah Hudson, receiver out of Lake Belton, Texas at Temple. Um, he'll be visiting on June 9th. He got that confirmed visit date, of, uh, I think, a week or so ago. But um, a lot of news coming out about his recruitment and his connection with the Tech coaching staff and, um, you know, message boards are kind of lighting up about it this week. And um, my prediction, the Tech's going to land the consensus five-star wideout out of Lake Belton. Uh, Micah Hudson, I mean, he's a a rare talent, especially out of that area at receiver. Um, Really smooth mover. You know, he's dominated all the 7-on-7 camps, dominated, you know, in high school at Lake Belton. Um, Newer high school. So kind of um, taking that program to new heights as they kind of uh, find their footing. In uh, Central Texas in the high school landscape, which is obviously a, a juggernaut out here, um, I think they're going to land him. Though, you know, they it, you don't just hear about connections like this for a reason. I mean, it's it's not just for you know just not a recruiting tool. These are real connections that they've made with him and the staff and Joey McGuire. And um, you know, I think putting out Eric he's a comment in the, in, the, in, the, in the not not Joey's staff obviously, but that program putting Eric out into the in the NFL and likely another NFL receiver this next year in Duran Bradley um, and just the offense they're, they're going to have. And, you know, you assume a steadier quarterback played in last year, just with, you know, three different starting quarterbacks rolling through there. Um, so I think when that offense with, with Zach Kittley and them as much as they want to throw the ball and air it out, I think you're really going to see that that offense take shape this year. And I think it's going to be big. I think they do land a commitment from the five-star wideout. And I think it would be um, program altering for sure in the best way possible. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how this kind of recruitment wraps up. I assume um, you know, it'll, it'll be maybe in uh, August, July, maybe a little bit later. I know he's got a visit to Texas on June 21st um, following his visit to Tech. Hasn't scheduled any other visits yet, but I assume, uh, you know, Brian Hartline up there at Ohio State will get him in in Columbus for a visit for sure. And I'm sure uh, Georgia, I uh, believe Clemson's another school in play, Texas a and So I'm sure they'll all get him in for visits. But I really think Tech's got um, a very, very real shot to land this kid. In. And like I said, it'd be, be program altering in the best way. Yeah, for sure,
1: big time news uh, for Tech, and hopefully it does end up that he is coming to Lubbock for um, what's most likely three seasons. But uh, would be a lot of fun to have a you know top notch prospect here. It's been a long time since that's been the case. Um, you know, Baron Morton was a four star, one of the higher recruits in Tech history, but just hasn't gotten the playing time that I think everyone wants out of him. Um, it might change this season, might not. Uh, but nonetheless. A steady culture here uh, that's constantly building, and I think that'll be attractive to Micah. My Turn Up the Heat uh, PGA Championship did conclude yesterday. Talk about that in a little bit, but a club pro out of Aurora Tribuco Golf Club, which is a private golf club in California, um, goes by the name of Michael Block. He is 47 years old and gives lessons full-time at the club, which is a very exclusive, like I said. Um, one of the many clubs in California. And he ended up finishing tied for 15th this week. Um, but being a club pro, you are never really expect to do a whole lot when you get a you know, special exemption that clubs can hand out that are hosting the tournaments. Um, yeah, so he came in top 15. He had an incredible hole-in-one that he dunked um, on the 15th hole in the final round yesterday. The only player all week to have a hole-in-one get to the course a little more um, in a few minutes, but incredible story from him. Uh, He has two kids. Uh, I mean, yeah, just wasn't expected to do well. Ended up taking home like 289,000 from the tournament. And because he finished top 15, he gets an automatic uh, bid into the PGA championship next year. Since yesterday when he finished, he had tied for 15th in which he had to get up and down on the last hole making a 10-foot putt to stay tied for 15th or else he would have fallen out. He got a call from the Colonial, which hosts the uh, tournament this weekend, that he is invited to that. And in a couple weeks, he was invited to another tournament. So um, getting a few invites here and there from you know club chairman and stuff like that that want him to play, that want him to be invited to the tournament as the golf club ultimate, ultimately has the final say on what the field really looks like outside of the PGA guys. But really good story for him and my bold predictions that he'll finish top 15 again this week at the Charles Schwab challenge in Fort Worth. So that would be, that'd be great to see. Um, But nonetheless, big time from him to be able to perform like that on that stage for a guy that has never really performed on a huge stage. Yeah. He's played tournaments and won some money, but nothing compared to this. Um, So really big from him. I know he had a great time, really um, embraced the whole environment and everything. And, just congrats to him. Um, one of the big biggest storylines of the week was him and how well he played each day and kind of how he recovered even after a few bad holes on Friday. So a uh, fun storyline that I thought I'd talk about a little bit since we're not really talking about it during the golf segment.
0: Yeah, no. Um, I mean, frankly, it was, uh, you know, it's obviously great that, um, you know, Brooks won and really cool to see his climb back up. And I'm sure we'll both kind of a little a little deeper on that when we get to golf in a few minutes but just uh, you rarely ever see a winner and and whether it's because because you know it's a pga championship event and he's a live golfer maybe that's part of the overshadowing but i mean very very rightfully so michael block has been these the story of the weekend and and brooks had a great weekend of golf a phenomenal you know final round and that's that's not to take away from what he did and the win in, in, in the in the career defining win he had, but it's yeah. more about like this is this is like this is like tin cup like the movie like this is like this is what it is like this is a real life version of that right to an extent and so it, you know it's um it's really cool to see just the story and, and the way the way the, the final round went I mean he needed that 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 hole in one um that put him back in position to get the the automatic like now I think he probably would have. They probably made an exemption and brought him back next year. If I had to guess, um, that said though, I mean, just from, from start to finish for him, you know, uh, has a great first two rounds. Um, you know, has a good round on Saturday. Then gets told he's going to get to play. He getting paired with Rory an all time. Great. Um, the PGA legend, he's going to get, he's going to get the golf with him on the final day. Um, you know, one-on-one is awesome. Um, you know, Rory was, was super cool the whole time. Um, I mean, he he at first he was celebrating more than than, than Michael was on that hole in one. Um, and for it to be like you know on the fly he dunks it. I mean, it's you just never see that right. It's just so rare, and so, um, it's a really cool thing. And um, like I said, rarely do you see a winner be overshadowed by this kind of story, but and rightfully so that, that block has taken um you know all this spotlight, and it's an awesome story. And um, it's great for the game of golf. I think it's uh, you know obviously more casual fans obviously you know they watch the PGA Championship because it's a major, but really cool to see. Um, just sports fans and just fans of like life in general are going to kind of be in on this with, with block, um, which is really cool. Because I think it's just, he's, how do you not root for the guy? Right. So, um, yeah, really, really cool story. And, um, hope he, hope he finishes, you know, well, this weekend at the Charles Schwab in Fort Worth and, um, hope he gets to keep, kind of keep, um, you know, living this dream.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a cool storyline. Um, seeing him progress throughout the week and kind of hearing more and more about, what he was about, what he did and stuff like that. Um, Heard great things about Aurora Tribuco. Definitely one of the bucket list courses out in California that you probably want to play. I know a few people that have played it. They've loved it. It looks, it looks really, really nice. Um, Would definitely love to go out there and play it one day. Um, But I'll pretty much conclude our opening segment. Uh, Moving on here to the NBA. Uh, It's been a little while since we've talked about anything on this pod, but, there's been a lot that's gone down in the NBA Um, 76ers, Joel Embiid. He was named the NBA MVP on Tuesday, May 2nd, Um, you know, it was three weeks ago. So well-deserved. I think he was probably the odds on favorite. And I mean, rightfully so, he had a big time season for the Sixers. um, And I mean, he played really well, propelled them to a conference semifinals appearance, ultimately losing to the Celtics in seven games, but we'll get into the playoff bracket here. So in the first round in the East, the one-seed Bucks versus the eight-seed Heat, who barely beat the Bulls to get into the playoffs. It was Bulls versus Heat in the play, and, and the Heat narrowly beat them. Um, and the Heat won that series against the Bucks, four games to one. Um, dominant showing from Jimmy Butler, who seems to come through every playoff game. Um, number two Celtics versus number seven Hawks. Boston won that series in six. To be expected, Hawks were dealing with some things. Um, number three, Sixers. Number six, Nets. Philly swept. I think that was to be expected, too. Uh, I didn't think the Nets were as good as their seed. Um, number four, Cavs versus number five, Knicks. What I thought was going to be a really good series, the Knicks won in five games. games uh, but the rest of the Knicks put away fairly early. So um, pretty good Eastern Conference pl- opening round, I'd say. Um, you know, with the eight seed, two seed, three seed, and five seed a few different seeds that you might not normally see advance to the second round. Um, normally you wouldn't see a one seed losing the opening round. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of star power in the East and it seems like those guys that those teams that have one or two guys are playing really, really well more so than other teams that might not have like a guy or two and are more just like a team, um, that feeds off each other. But when you have those dominant, you know, couple players, that's how you really get far in the playoffs. And then at the end of the day, what puts you over the hump to win the title is how well your bench is going to play, honestly, because at the end of the day you can't expect your top two guys to go out and put up thirty plus each night. And, you know, the deeper the roster that you have, the farther that you're going to go. And I see I think we're seeing that more and more each year. Um yeah, like the heat he played year, really sure. well. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're they were a play in team that's now one win away from this, the the uh, NBA finals. So I think it'll be fun to see how these teams kind of change um how they make adjustments, how they change their approach going into elimination games here upcoming, but first I'll let you you know, we'll continue to talk about the first round.
0: Yeah, I'll kinda I'll kinda breeze through these a little bit. Um one seed Nuggets took on the eight seeded Timberwolves in five games. Uh, Two-seeded Grizzlies fell to the seven-seeded Lakers uh, in six games. Uh, Three-seeded Kings fell to the six-seeded Warriors in, in six games. And then the four-seeded Suns took down the five-seeded Clippers in five games. Um, you know, Nuggets and the Suns winning really wasn't too surprising for a lot of people, I don't think. Um, Nuggets, for sure. Suns, I think, with just the injuries uh, on that Clippers roster. And um, I think you saw it with the Bucks losing to the Heat health as well from the playoffs. Um, you know, I mean, we saw it when when the Raptors, uh, when that you know Kawhi led Raptors team won the won the finals. I mean, it's a different series if Kevin Durant's healthy. And I'm not saying that the Raptors don't win. I'm just saying it's a different series if that Golden State team's healthy, if Clay's healthy, you know, KD's healthy the whole time. So, and we see it all the time. Like I said, health is wealth in basketball. And um, you know, from what it appears, the two teams that that it looked like are going to go to the finals are, are healthy, and on all four teams in the conference finals are all healthy too. So. Um, other than that, I mean, uh, the seventh the seven and the six seeds upsets, typically you'd be, be surprised, but it is a Lakers team that was a seven seed in the play in that had like the version that we said that we're seeing in the Lakers in the playoffs was, was never the version of that team we saw in the regular season. That, that that the group now was thrown together at the deadline. I mean, you look at Dennis Schroeder, I guess was on the team a little bit prior, but I mean still it's not like he was a major contributor at the time. Uh, banked up a little bit. I um, mean, you really you look at the major contributors on the team right now. Um, it's it's LeBron, AD, and Austin Reeves were the guys who were there prior. I mean, they bring in DeAngelo Russell, they bring in Rui Hachimura. Um, it's really been those six for the most part. Um, you know, Lonnie Walker had the, had the huge game in Game Four against in in that uh, Golden State series. Um, a guy I guess they had prior to the year, but really hadn't done much outside of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing. That team upsetting the, the two-seated Grizzlies, a young team, a group that's had a lot of distraction, um, you know, before their season ended and after with the whole Jaw thing, which probably won't talk about much. Um, There's not something we probably want to. It's a very touchy subject, a very politically charged topic, which neither of us want to talk about politics. It's stupid. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate what, what, what Jaws going through. Um, you know, I think. Who knows if he ever kind of figures it out, but. That's kind of for him and the NBA to work through and the Grizzlies. Um, but yeah, I think that team a lot of distractions. It, Dylan Brooks being a distraction, like just during the game and on that team in that locker room, is also what I think detrimental to them. I think they can replace what he did for them um, defensively with another player that's not going to be um, you poking the bear. I mean, you saw it with with uh, with Grant Williams their night in that in in game game three or game two. Like you don't why, why poke the bear why there's it's never going to end well and we've seen that clearly with the with the heat series right so um it didn't end well for um you know for Dylan Brooks and the Grizzlies um and then with the Kings that's just a young team i guess that was in 7 not not um not 6 i misspoke but just a young team uh, inexperienced in the playoffs and then going up against the defending champs a team that top to bottom had the most playoff experience of of all the teams in the playoffs so um you know, very complete team in the Warriors, um, you know, uh, matching up with the Kings, I thought was they they, they were always going to get exposed against the team with a big, whether it was the Nuggets or the Lakers. But the Kings felt like a good matchup for them. And again, a, a young squad taking on an, a, an older group like the Warriors felt like it was going to be Warriors all the way. Um, and that kind of pushes us to the second round here. And I'll just I'll just keep going with the West. Um, the four seeded Suns lost to the one seeded Nuggets in six games. Um and the seven seeded Lakers took down the six seeded Warriors in six games as well. Both of those four to two. I believe the home team took game one in both series, or the away team took game one. Well, I guess it's a little different. Denver won all their home games. Lakers won all their home games. Each won a singular road game um, and closed it out. Um, but yeah, I mean those series. Uh, not super surprising, I think, when you saw the, match, the mismatch that the Lakers presented in the front court uh, for the Warriors. It was going to be an issue for them. And I think similarly with the Suns, um, Ayton just couldn't hang with with Jokic. And um, the Suns' stars, obviously, Chris Paul getting hurt. Um, you know, KD and Booker were kind of non-existent in game six. So, a tough, tough way for their season to end. Obviously, not the way they wanted it to play out. Not the way they thought it would play out, getting KD at the deadline. Um, but ultimately, their season falls short to the Nuggets, who... Um we'll talk about a little bit about the of the team that's gonna win it all this year.
1: Yeah. Um talking about the East in the second round, the eight five the eight seed Heat took down the five seed Knicks in five games. Um which a really impressive series for most of that Heat roster. And the three seed seventy-sixers lost to the two seed Celtics in seven games. So a really close series there honestly could have gone either way. There were a lot of close games couple blowouts, but a lot of close games in playoffs In the playoff series between them. Um, and that led to a Heat versus Celtics conference finals that's going on right now. Game three was last night. Games, game four is tomorrow night. And the Heat are up 3-0. Uh, they took both home games in Boston, game one and two. And then last night they went home to Miami, had a whiteout. Um, and yeah, they they won that game. They were up by 32 at one point. I think they won it by about like 20 or so. Um, they just look really good. I don't know how the Celtics are going to win game four. It's going to take something miraculous. Um, yeah, I mean, the Heat look in full control right now and it could be a good finals. I mean, if, if they stay on their streak and still, I mean, if they don't do anything wrong and they've just been playing how they play with, you know, with Jimmy taking the reins and Kind of letting the offense flow through him while having Bam have an impact on the defensive end. I think that could give some problems to a lot of different teams. But I mean, we've seen in the playoffs they came back and beat the Bulls. They beat the Bucks in five, and then they beat the Knicks in five. I mean, they look really good, and then, and they're going to sweep the team that was at the top of the league for most of the season
0: here tomorrow, probably. Yeah, I think we talk about the Celtics. I've never seen a, a such a, a non inspired conference fight like say what you want about the lakers being down 0-3 against the nuggets or 3-0 like they like all of their games have been competitive at one point or another i know that you know i guess maybe less less game three well it was still close at the end i know jamal murray went for 27 in, in the in the fourth quarter um the other night but the lakers have had it they had it within one in game three uh in the early in the fourth quarter they had it within three in the fourth quarter in game two where they were getting blown out early game one was a tight game the whole way like or no, game one, they brought it within three, and then game two was pretty tight the whole way. So, I mean, listen, the Lakers at least showed an inspiring performance. They've just been bested by a clearly better team and a more complete team and a team that's just getting a whole lot more out of their bench than the Lakers are. I mean, D'Angelo Russell has disappeared like a kidnapped child um, you know, on the back of a milk carton. Like, have you seen me? I'm missing. I mean, that, that's what he's been, this whole conference finals, which sucks for the Lakers. But, I mean, they needed him to keep on this run he was on like he did against you know Memphis and Golden State, and they, and they're just not getting that. They're not getting the the high impact play from the role players that the Nuggets are. But at least they're competing. The Celtics look like they're out there. I mean, I, I think I think Chuck said it on on um, the post game last night in Game Three. Like that looks like a, that the way that the Celtics played Game Three, they looked like they were a team down 3-0 in a Game Four. Like they've mailed it in. Like it's over. Typically, you see. When teams are down 3-0, they get rolled in game four because they know they're done, right? Rarely do you see teams win the game four, um, especially on the road, which is, again, a rare occurrence, but it happens. And so <laughs> it's, like they, it's like they slayed their dragon in the fi- in the Sixers and then just mailed it in. It's like, oh, we, that was it. That's what we wanted to accomplish this year, which is so strange for a team that went to the finals last year. They were up 2-1 in the finals last year. And they were they were two wins away. So I just it's super confusing. I, I truly I do think that that the coaching kind of debacle and where they're at right now has had a huge impact on that on that team. Kind of the play that, that they've had. Um, I think they're missing, you know, say what you want to email to off off the court. He's a phenomenal basketball coach. I think he showed that last year. And I think they're missing that added strategic element that, that they are not getting right now. Um, with, I'm going to draw the blank on, on their current coach's name, but and I don't think they're missing that element. Um, and I, again, like, like I said, you feel it, maybe they slayed their dragon in, in the Philadelphia 76ers and in, in coming back down three, two, they win the game in Philly. Then they win game seven in, in Boston in, in, the, in the conference, in the conference, um, of the second round, I guess. But like, I just, I don't know. You can't have both your superstars shooting what six for 17 and six for 18. It's just, it's bad. Um. Yeah, I think um you know it, it's it seems like we're destined for a heat a heat nuggets um uh finals you know a playing team that was down what a le- 10 or 11 in the fourth quarter in their in their playing game before they were eliminated versus um a team that's been dominant all year really not having a lot of missteps in, in the nuggets um rolling the Lakers up three0 like I said um, competitive series but ultimately Denver's really been they've been money in the fourth quarter they've they've closed out games phenomenally well I know they had kind of a hiccup um, in game one, I believe it was, or game two, where they gave up the big lead, but but they showed their ability to Lakers brought it within three or within one, like, okay, boom, dagger three. Like they 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 are keeping up and they're and they're making the Lakers keep up and they can't. So especially in the fourth quarter, um bang, the story of both of these teams is obviously very different, but the way in which they've made this run is they're getting and more so for the Heat than the Nuggets, but the bench is just playing out of their mind. The Heat bench is playing out of their mind. No disrespect to Gary Vincent. I, I I didn't know who he was before the season started. Put it that way, he was not a, he's not a household name by any means. Not even with if you unless you were a Heat fan. If you're a pretty like in like a pretty in the know fan of the NBA, you probably still didn't know Gary Vincent. And all due respect to that dude, I mean, he's balling right now. He had 29 last night. He is in his bag. But to act like, like this heat team is loaded and that they just kind of like like the Lakers stumbled their way injuries to make the plan. It's not how their season went. They they had a bad they had a bad finish through a year. So, um, you know, I think both of these teams, as benches, are, like I said, are, are giving great effort and, and and they're knocking down their open. They're knocking down open looks. Um, They're getting gr- great effort from the bench every single night. night in and night out. And they're getting taking care of their business and their stars have risen to the occasion. Um, Jamal Murray's probably been the MVP of the Western conference finals. I know, Jokic probably has the better numbers with that monsters game one. Um, but it's, it's been Jamal Murray. If you've watched the games, it's been Jamal Murray in the fourth quarter, every single time they needed a bucket, he was isolation, step back three. Like he's, he's making the shots late in the game. So, um, and then same goes for Jimmy Butler in the heat. I mean, that guy's been, um, nails. I mean, playoff Jimmy seriously might be one of the, like, in terms of like playoff, players of all time jimmy's up there top 10 right now just the way he's performed talking about the bubble playoffs talk about the playoffs right now this guy's on a different planet
1: yeah definitely um going back to the east kind of talking about the heat and celtics i mean i think eric spolstra is like a top three coach in the league i think a lot of people absolutely don't really i don't think a lot of people realize like what he does season to season and like Jimmy Butler was on the Heat or on the Bulls a few years ago, and now he's like balling out for the Heat. That outside of Bam, like yeah, they have their power forward, and they have Robinson who can knock down threes. But outside of them, they really don't have a lot. Like you said, their bench has played really, really well, but they don't have a ton of guys. It's just they have a bigger supporting cast than most teams, like the Nuggets and the Celtics, who Oh, even the Lakers have stars like the Heat do, but the Heat have more. I don't know how to explain it. The Heat have more guys that play above their expect, like their expectation, than any other team, I think. And I think that's why they're so well coached because Coach Spoelstra can get all that out of them, whereas other coaches maybe can't get all that out of their role players or. Not maybe not role players, but lower level starters, not your star players, and I think
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, we're really seeing players. that come through. Yeah, role, is... role no role players is the right word. I mean, that, that's starters can be role players. I mean, you look at what what uh, Jared Vanderbilt's done for the Lakers. He's a starter, yeah. but he's a role player for them. He doesn't play bulk minutes every single night. Um, and I think like I think I think I'll try and paraphrase what you were saying. Um, the Heat are are getting a lot more out of out of a greater range of players. Than the Celtics, the Lakers, and the Nuggets, they're getting so much more out of, or their contributions rather, are coming from a greater number of players than maybe the six or seven that the other teams are getting. Now the Nuggets are a little deeper as well, um, but I'll give you a comparison that we've talked about a lot. We've talked a lot, a lot about um, this guy on here is Mike Tomlin. Eric Spolster is the Mike Tomlin of the NBA. He's easily a top three head coach, head coach in the NBA. He consistently gets overlooked because his team they're not a juggernaut. <laughs> but they win games, man. It's like it's like the steel. It's like I said with Mike Tomlin, we talked about. I mean, that team was that, that roster was awful, and they won nine games last year. It's Mike Tomlin. He he's a legend. Yeah, he gets so much out of his guys. Um, and I think you're right, Eric Spulcher Because he gets more out of his players than uh, nearly every other coach in the NBA. Um, you know, I I'm, mean, I'm struggling to think of better coaches. I think Mike Malone's an incredible coach. I think Steve Kerr is a great coach, um, despite his press conference antics this playoff run, which just confused me because he's such a, a, a great basketball mind. Why well, he needed to do that? I wasn't really sure. I think Pop, those three. Those are the you can kind of talk about in the conversation, but I think Spol- Spolstra is right there. So, um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, kind of in a, a finals look, because um, it's the it, teams are 149 0 um when leading 3 0. So um then the Nuggets are not gonna lose to four straight to the Lakers and no nor are the Heat to the Celtics. Um if if this if this series was taking place three days after the after the conclusion, like a couple days after the conclusion of these series, I'm taking I might be taking the Heat. Here's the problem. They don't play till June first. Give yeah. me the Nuggets. If if both teams sweep that we have nine days off. Get give me the Nuggets. The, they're they're a, they're just an, a more talented bunch. They're they're really well coached, and I only say I'm not gonna take the heat because they're getting the Nuggets aren't getting out of like like out of body type of play from contributor like other contributors like the Heat are. And when I say that, I mean like I said like Gary Vincent. Is he gonna go for thirty in the finals? Twelve days from now, to eleven days from now. These guys are going to cool off. It just happens. It's like you see a lot of times like in college football where two teams in the semis. I think it happened at TCU where they play the semi and then you wait you know you wait 8 9 days. It happened I think it happened with Michigan in the semi. You, you you play a conference final, or a conference conference title game and then you wait what 3 weeks to play a game. You get rusty. It happens. And then you you take what another 10 an extended 10ish days off. And you get a little rusty, like TCU did. Maybe a little bit of a hangover, like they may have had from that Michigan game, where Miami is like, "Holy crap, we just swept the Celtics." A little bit of a hangover. I don't know. I just, to me, with an, with that much time off for these teams, I, I even if even if the even if the Nuggets win in five, because I think the likelihood is greater that the, that the Lakers win Game Four than the Celtics win Game Four. If that makes sense. Even if the Nuggets win in five, and they have to, and they get one less day of rest than the Heat. I'm still taking the Nuggets because because again nine days off for the Heat that's gonna hurt their t- that's gonna hurt they I think they would benefit from I'm not gonna say they should throw a game but they they would benefit from Boston winning a game they would have benefited from a longer series to stay hot um yeah so I, I, that's my kind of my take is if is if this was being played if these if these series went six or seven games yeah I might take the Heat no chance with nine days off this Nuggets team just Again, Jamal Murray dropping, you know, thirty-eight or forty is not shocking. It's like, man, that's a great game, but that's not shocking. Gary Vincent dropping twenty nine is shocking. That that's like, whoa, wow, like he went off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I definitely think, you know, with the Heat and Nuggets being what seems like it's gonna be the final, I think it should be a really good series and we should have some good matchups. Obviously, Jokic is still gonna go off. Um still gonna have Jimmy Butler probably play pretty well. Jamal Murray is going to play pretty well. Um, Be interesting matchup there. I'd probably take the Nuggets in six. I'd say the Heat win game three and five, and the Nuggets win the rest. And I think, I mean, it's the Nuggets finals to lose, and they just look really complete. They have a great combination, better than any other team in terms of star power with arguably the best player in the league, Nicole Jokic. Jamal Murray is really, really good as well, mixed with that deep bench. um, You look at Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, uh, Michael Porter Jr., who's really good. They have that supporting cast around Murray and Jokic to uh, produce in the playoffs, and we see it year after year, um, just how that roster constantly builds. Um, It builds culture. It builds experience, and all these guys staying together while bringing in Younger guys like Christian Brown, who's a rookie, um, has been really, really beneficial for them. And I think it's paid off um, and really makes Mike Malone's job a lot easier. And I think you see that kind of similarly with Eric Spolstra and how they have a culture there. They've had the same team for three years now, and they can kind of start building. And you look at the two teams that are in jeopardy of being eliminated in the Lakers and Celtics, And yeah, they have star players, LeBron, AD, uh, Jason Tatum, star, star players. But with, you know, the Celtics, third head coach in the last three seasons, the Lakers have a lot of head coaching changes. I mean, that's a really big deal. And coaches at the end of the day don't play the game, but they have a huge impact. And I think we're seeing that in these conference finals more than anything, um, you know, determining when to sub guys in and out, determining matchups, it's. It's overlooked factor of these conference finals, I think, and we're seeing it on full display currently.
0: Absolutely. I'll echo that 100 percent. And before we kind of move toward, I guess, move on from the, since we've been it for a while before we kind of get going, I will say I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that and say um, the cohesiveness of these teams is big. I think this Heat team has struggled. They've they've gone through it this year together, um, whereas the Celtics never really had to do that. Um, And I think on the, on the other side of the coin with the Lakers and and the Nuggets, the Nuggets, this Lakers team was, like I said, they're, they're a thrown together group and it's commendable the way that they came together. Like they did with, I mean, frankly, this, like I said, that the group of core players that, that, that has led them to this point on again, a seed get into the final uh, conference finals is a great run. That's put them on this run, including LeBron and AD. They've hardly ever played together this year because LeBron was hurt up until nearly the playoffs. Right. So um, and it's a commendable job by, the, by that by the group without LeBron to make that kind of late push in in March and April to get them to the playoffs, um, kind of propel them to the play-in, and then for them to get healthy is is great. But I think there's something to be said for when it's a gut check time in a game where the other team just won't miss, and you've and you've really got to grind out stops and and just and and and, and make big buckets and have that chemistry and that cohesiveness. I think you're seeing that that that's that that's part of the Lakers' fatal flaw. The the lack of another big is, is part of it, but that's one of their fatal flaws. Is the chemistry and the basketball cohesiveness is not there for a team like the Nuggets that, despite maybe not seeing as much adversity, they've been together all year. They, this this has been the same group for two years now. Obviously, they get Jamal Murray back healthy. Um, yeah, they add Christian Brown, who's seen bulk minutes, but for the most part, this group of Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr um Jokic and Murray that that kind of core nucleus of four it's kind of held this thing together the last three or four years I mean that's big I know they added KCP that kind of thing but um I think the nucleus being a little more together and cohesive is big for that team so um yeah that kind of wraps it up um NBA draft lottery um went phenomenally for my co-host Brett Yates Went phenomenal for the Spurs. I'll let him get into that in a second. But um, Lottery was a little surprised. I think it was Chalk for the first, like, you know, until pick six or seven. Um, I believe who got, I think the Hornets got bounced from the top five, top four. Um, I believe the Rockets are picking four, right? Yeah, Rockets are picking four. Um, I forget who's picking two. Obviously, the Spurs are picking one. Um, But we'll kind of get, Maybe a mock draft or two in there, um, kind of as we get closer. We've got – what's like a month out. It's June 21st. Is, is that the is that the first – is that the NBA draft, think, is that
1: Wednesday? I think it's June 22nd.
0: Okay, that's Thursday. So probably, what, I the yeah, June 19th? 22nd. You're
1: right. N- the 19th and maybe the 12th. We'll have a couple mock draft Mondays yeah. NBA style.
0: Um, the first pick's not changing, I promise. Yeah, that won't be <laughs> Brett, changing. Brett's not going to let me. He, he's not going to let me. Um. But yeah, I mean,
1: the NBA draft lottery is the 14 teams, the worst 14 teams in the league. So every team that did make the playoffs is in the draft lottery. And then from there, a set of ping pong balls, essentially is what it is, rattle around and one gets vacuumed up into this like capsule. And the team's logo that's on the ball gets that pick. It's kind of like lottery numbers where they get certain numbers and The teams are New Orleans, Toronto, Oklahoma City, Chicago, Dallas, Utah, Washington, Indiana, Orlando, Portland, Charlotte, San Antonio, Houston, and Detroit. And Detroit went into the draft lottery with the best overall odds, and then Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio all shared the best odds for the first overall pick at 14%. But some stuff did go down the Pistons, who had the worst record in the league, ended up with the fifth overall pick. They had a 48% chance at the fifth overall pick, and the reigning 52% chance was a top four pick. So they got the worst possible result. Um, The Spurs got the first pick. They were projected the third. They had the highest chances at the sixth, but they got the first pick. The Rockets fell. They got the fourth pick. Um, The Blazers, who were expected to maybe get the seventh pick, they jumped all the way up and got the third pick. The Hornets, who had the fourth best odds, got the second pick. Like I said, Pistons got the fifth. And Magic got the sixth. And then from there, it was pretty much what you expected. There wasn't any surprises until the top five, where the Pistons got the fifth pick. But, yeah, I mean... I'm projecting Victor Wembanyamba to the Spurs until it happens um, exactly one month from today. Should be exciting to see how that goes. I know the Spurs have also been talked about wanting to trade up into the top five with another pick as well to pair someone with Victor. Um, personally, I wouldn't do that just because I think that would take a lot of capital and trading some players away. Um, but they need to go after some guys this offseason. I think they need a point guard. Uh, it's probably number one priority for them this offseason. They do have a good bit of cap space, I think, just south of $50 million. And they already have a core built. I mean, with Victor coming in, uh, they have Kelton Johnson, who's a 23-point-a-game guy past couple of years. has been really, really good from three, top three, uh, three-point percentage shooter. And, I mean, Jason Tatum's a free agent next offseason. I know that that new Supermax, because he got first-team All-NBA, is going to be 63 annually for five years starting in 2024 ridiculous but next but next summer jason tatum maybe maybe gets a call from the spurs um but i think regardless of who the spurs had outside of the draft this was big time i think it's big in keeping popovich maybe another year or two um you look at the spurs maybe if they got detroit's luck and got dropped to the fifth or sixth pick where they had the highest odds i think maybe you see popovich kind of step away in a year or two and as there's no real projection or anything to look forward to. But now, yeah, the first pick, um, arguably the best prospect ever in basketball. Everything's laid out for you. You just got to make the moves and uh, sign them to their deals and see how it goes from there. And I don't doubt that Popovich can help develop him. I mean, the other two Spurs picks have been David Robinson and Tim Duncan both with similar roles to what Victor will probably have. Obviously, Victor's a little more versatile, modern day type big, um, but all similar skill sets. And I think they'll Victor or Tim and David will train Victor a little bit. But without going on this too much, I think it should be a fun draft night. Obviously, it went well for Spurs fans, including myself. But look, really looking forward to it. There's still a lot of other really high caliber players. You look at. Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Amon Thompson, just a few of the top guys. Um, forget his name out of Houston, he's going to be probably top six pick. A lot of big-name guys who could really make for some fun rosters and fits, um, depending on who picks when after the first pick. But uh, that'll pretty much be it. Like we said, we'll probably have an NBA mock or two like we did last year leading up to the draft on June 22nd. Going into the NHL here, we'll be a little quicker with the NHL. Going into the East, the first round of the playoffs, Boston Bruins, who had the best regular season record ever, fell to the Florida Panthers in seven games. Panthers won four games to three. Carolina Hurricanes were the two-seed, hosting the Islanders for a seven-game set. Carolina won in six. New Jersey Devils hosting the New York Rangers. Devils won in seven. And The Tampa Bay Lightning against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto won that in six games. So um, I don't think any real surprises out of here outside of Boston losing. Florida's still really, really hot. They won nine of their last ten in the playoffs, which is crazy. Um, They won the last three against Boston. They won four or five in the second round. And then they won the first two in the third round. So crazy stuff from them so far so far um in the west
0: yeah well I'll, I'll start real, real quick with um with the, the the Boston Bruins they pulled a Golden State Warriors up 3-1 in a historic season but they did it in the first round to an 8 seed um I don't think this is an embellishment to say that this is the most disappointing playoff loss of all time um even when the Yankees lost lost a series up 3-0 it was in a pennant it was in, the, it, was in it was in the ALCS to the Red Sox so be a huge rivalry um and it wasn't like they had it wasn't like when the Mariners had that season and they lost early like still like they're down 3-1 in a 7 game set they're up three one on a seven game set and they lose after having quite literally the best season ever in NHL history. So um yeah, I mean it's definitely um definitely a a massive upset. A couple more upsets here in, in kind of in the in the West. Um with the Seattle Kraken uh defeating, we go, defeating the uh, Colorado Avalanche in seven games. Um, Vegas Knights took care of business against the Against Colorado, the Jets or Colorado, I don't know why I say Colorado, the uh, <clears throat> the Jets um four to four to one. Um Oler took down the Kings in six. And then um yeah, like I said, stars took stars care of business um four to two in their series as well. Um getting into I'll just I'll keep it going here at the West. You can get the East second round and and, and right, kinda of right after I do if you want to. Um I'll get the West real quick, just keep it rolling here. Um Kraken uh, lost to the Stars uh, in Dallas in Game 7. Uh, it was a great series. It was epic. I believe Game 7 went to OT. Um, and then the Golden Knights took care of business in 4-2 four, uh, four to two against the Oilers, um, which was also a great series. I know um, kind of – I don't want to say a letdown, but um, I think people were expecting more from the Oilers, kind of led by Connor McDavid. Um, but, again, uh, kind of a, a great start to the franchise of, of – um, the Golden Knights was the Kraken. I know the Kraken didn't win the series, um, but that said, I mean, for two expansion teams like this to be, um, you know, this good this early, um, maybe he's telling about how the NHL maybe needs to re- kind of walk the system back a little bit, um, kind of dial it down a hair with the expansion draft. I know, I know when the Golden Knights did it, it was like, wow, they're loaded. Maybe we should fix that. And the Kraken got not that short out of the stick. They just kind of got the corrected system and it's still – um, maybe not as correct as it needs to be, but maybe this is what they want. So, um, But yeah, and then I'll let you hit the Easter cookie real quick, and then we can get into the conference finals. Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: Like we said, Florida Panthers advanced, faced off with Toronto Maple Leafs. The Panthers won that series in five, looked dominant pretty much the whole series. Carolina Hurricanes defeated the New Jersey Devils four games to one as well to advance to the Western Conference Finals, excuse me, Eastern Conference Finals which are going on right now. Panthers at the Hurricanes. Hurricanes have home ice this series, but it hasn't seemed to matter because Panthers took the first two in Carolina as they now travel to uh, Florida, which I think game three is tonight, if I'm not mistaken, because I think, yeah, because the Stars lost last night. So game three is tonight because East for hockey is going on at the same time as West for basketball. So, Kind of getting a game a day here as we get to the third round in both NBA and NHL. But the Panthers are looking really good right now, and I don't see a reason why they wouldn't sweep, given that they won nine of the last ten after losing the first three to Boston. So I'm going to go Panthers in a sweep. I mean, I don't know how you beat the Panthers right now, um, and they look destined for a Stanley Cup berth.
0: hope <laughs> they do, man. it would be awesome. I mean, up 2-0 uh, against the Hurricanes right now, um, going home for game three and four. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm pulling for the Panthers uh, in the the opposite series uh, with the Stars at the Golden Knights. Vegas took the first two games at home, um, both going to overtime. Yeah, both going to overtime. Um, Awesome series so far. Um, Probably looking for Dallas to take the next two at home. Kind of follow suit here. Uh, The first team that wins a road game is going to win this series, 100 percent. Um, well, I guess the, the Vegas didn't have to, but um, I think if they take a game in Dallas, they'll win the series. And I think if I think if Dallas can get, they can win both games in at home, and they can take Game Five. Uh, I think they, I think they can close it out in Dallas in Game Six. Um, but I mean, they, it, they, 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 those two games have been incredible. Um, but two first two games going we to overtime is awesome. I believe that now makes the Stars zero and four in overtime, and the Vegas Knights three and zero in overtime in the in the playoffs. So kind of a tale of two stories for them, those two teams, but nonetheless. Um, the stars lost the first game in both their prior series and overtime. So not that they can't get, can't bounce back. I know, you know, home, home ice is, um, probably the biggest home field advantage in all professional sports is home ice and hockey, especially playoff hockey. So, um, especially to the an environment like Dallas is going to have, they have great fans. Um, jealous. I'm not gonna be able to go drive up for a game. Um, just, you know, busy with, like I said, stuff I got to take care of, um, kind of personal life. I wish you could go up for a game. You can probably get like bleeders for still pretty cheap be in an in incredible environment, but, uh, maybe next year, um, that kind of wraps up hockey though. Um, I won't make it I, I think, I think the Panthers do win, man, it's too. I don't, I'm pulling for, for, I think for Dallas, um, just cause they're the Texas team, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset if I saw the Golden Knights go either. I think I do want these series to go a little longer though. I don't want us to go like, you know, a whole their week without hockey either. So, um, but yeah, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll let you lead us into golf here. I know we've got a lot today for golf, so we will kind of keep it pushing here.
1: Yeah, I kind of forgot what we are going to do. Just recap all the tournaments that took place and look ahead to the one next week. So we're recapping four. Started off, we had the Mexico Open conclude on April 30th, about three weeks ago. Smaller event, only had a purse of 7.7 mil. Was played at Vedanta Vallarta in Hidalgo, Mexico. John Rahm won the event last year, and this year, Tony Finau won it. He won it at 24-under. He took home just under 1.4 mil. Defending champ John Rahm, he came in second at 21 under, three shots back of Finau, including shooting a 10 under 61 on Saturday, the lowest score to par on an individual day to this point in the PGA Tour season. The low rounds each day were 63, 64, 61, and 64. So outside of Rahm, no one broke 63. Um, Then the following weekend, we had the Wells Fargo Championship, played at Quail Hollow Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. That concluded on May 7th. Max Homa won the event last year, and the event that carries a purse of 20 mil was won by Wyndham Clark at 19 under this year, taking home 3.6 mil. He won it by four strokes over Xander Shoffley, who took home 2.2 mil in second place. Um, The low rounds for this tourney were 65 on Thursday and Friday, 63 on Saturday, and a 66 on Sunday. Uh, Jordan Spieth had to take a couple weeks off due to a wrist injury. Unfortunately, missed the following weekend, which was the AT&T Byron Nelson in his home city of the Dallas area at TPC Craig Ranch in McKinney, Texas. Jason Day won the event at 23-under. I think it was his first event won in over three years. Um, he was once on a dominant run back in 2015, 2016. And really, really good golf all four days by him, 23-under. One by one stroke, he took home 1.71 mil. The little rounds were 60, 64, 63, and 62. So I think 60 was the course record, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So really, really good golf. Uh, we're seeing, you know, even with guys on the live tour, kind of makes for a weaker PGA field. We're still seeing some really good scores, you know, let some new guys come in and they're performing really well. So I think kind of these three lesser events before we get into the PGA championship that just concluded, um, I mean, there were three really good events, um, all new winners, no repeat winners. And I always like seeing that, seeing new guys take home the money, take home the trophy, um, big time stuff for them. And for the PGA Tour as a whole, I think it's a really big deal for them.
0: Yeah, like you said, it's nice to have three smaller tournaments take place before the PGA Championship that all turn out to be really good golf. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head there with – you know, the live guys kind of, I always say diluting the pool of, or guess, I don't know. I don't want to say weakening the pool of golfers because all these guys are any given, any given tournament, a guy can go win a golf tournament. I feel like, especially in the PGA, these guys are all professionals and can all put together incredible rounds of golf. So, um, but I'll say kind of lessening the top heavy talent, I guess, are the big names. Um, but I think it's been really great to see um, new guys get on the tour. Uh, more space for those guys, some newer names you've seen kind of talk, you know pop up and and play well, and I think it's good for the game of golf. Um, and I think it just it, it grows the game. I think that's that's ultimately what it's all about. Um, especially to kind of work in a, a younger generation into the sport. Um, it's it's kind of always been an older an older an older folk sport, if you will. Um. And I think I've definitely, as I've gotten older, I've kind of grown up for an appreciation for it. But I think introducing a younger audience, a younger fan base to it, it's great to grow the game. And I think that the live, um, you know, for better or for worse, for the PGA, I think it's grown the game of golf. And I think it's, um, while it might be a negative for the PGA, taking away guys like like Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau and Cam Smith, it's allowing for, uh, you know, other guys to um, kind of get on the PGA Tour and 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 open that up for some new golfers and, and get some new names and faces out there. So, um you know these guys have a hometown they all have a community that supports them and um you know golf kind of spreads those new communities and um grows new fans so i think that's kind of an overlooked aspect of it but yeah like you said getting back on topic with these three um really good to see i know the byron delson's always kind of more one of the more like newer tournaments a little more fun a little less formal i guess um more of like a like a like a a spectating like entertainment event rather than like it's kind of like the waste management a little bit not quite as crazy but um more of an event for people to go to have a look at time as opposed to some more of the formal golf of ntc and i think i think we're shifting towards less formal golf events i think but um nonetheless uh byron nelson's really cool one i want definitely want to go um just up in mckinney uh want to go see that one someday um be yeah, i'll let you kick us off i'll get you get get to the pga championship um Awesome four rounds of golf. I had a great time watching. Um, Great final round. It sucks that it kind of, I don't want to say ended, but for Victor, for it to kind of conclude the way it did on 16 is tough. But nothing you can do about it. It was Brooks' day. Brooks' kind of was, I guess, something like he was destined to win after that. Um, But I'll let you kind of get into it here.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Second major of the year. Concluded yesterday. PGA Championship obviously hosted by the PGA, but it was at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. Brooks Koepka won it, like we said, um, what was a thrilling four-day event at just 9-under. A low finishing score for the winner. Took home 3.15 mil. Um, doesn't compare to his 4.5 mil he took home on the live earlier this year. Nonetheless, um, slightly bigger invocation, slightly bigger um, tournament. Beat out Victor Hovland and Scotty Scheffler by two shots. Victor and Scotty tied for second at 7-under. The par 70 course proved to be very difficult for all golfers and the fairways were tight the roughs were cut high Um, beautiful course very well kept by the green staff and everyone there that works at oak hill the poor weather late on friday into saturday didn't help the scores either um overall the event was a lot of fun oak hill did a great job hosting like i said Um, the low rounds each day weren't very low um four under 66 the first three days and then five guys shot five under 65 on sunday as the course dried up um, a little bit softer than it was on thursday before the rain but still um, guys could control their spin a lot better than obviously during the rain kind of led to some a little better scores obviously not much better only one shot but um it was nice that the nicest weather was on sunday i feel like that was fitting for kind of how the tournament went Victor Hovland, he was the only golfer in the field to have all four rounds at or under par, which was seventy. And if it wasn't for the double bogey he had on sixteen in the final round, he would have gone into a playoff with Brooks, as the two were the final pairing on Sunday. So pretty much it went according to plan. You know, the guy in the final pairing takes it home. The guy, the other guy in the final pairing comes in second. Um, kind of what you look forward to. I know Victor wishes he had it back. He had. You know, on 16 we talked about it. he drove it right into the bunker. His approach out of the bunker was right into the face of the bunker. I had to take a drop. Um, it was just a disaster hole for him. And I think what was only the only double bogey he had the whole week, and um, a little bit of a messier scorecard for Victor over the course of the week. I think he had a lot of birdies and a lot of, a lot of bogeys, similar to what Brooks had in the final round. Um, but a really fun tournament. tournament not much drama. You know, in terms of like coming down to the end, I mean, going to the last two holes, Brooks had a four-shot lead, so there wasn't a whole lot of drama in that regard. But it was just overall fun tournament at a pristine golf course in New York. And Brooks Koepka has now won five majors. He's one of 20 golfers ever to do that. He's also one of five golfers ever to win at least three PGA Championships. Um, He joins um, Byron Nelson. He joins. Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and I can't remember the fourth one. Um, but Jack and Byron have five Tigers, four, and someone else has three along with Brooks. Um, but all three PGA Championships that Brooks have, has won have been in New York, coincidentally. Um, so next time the PGA is in New York, probably be putting my money on Brooks. Hopefully, sports betting is legal by that time in Texas. Um, but we'll see. Should be fun. I think next year's at Valhalla, and we will be seeing Michael Block. Um, teed up there and should be another fun tourney always one of the best of the year i think one of the underrated majors obviously the masters always gets the attention it deserves but i think u.s open even the open um being overseas is a big deal and i mean the pga to round out the four majors i think is the one that slept on the most um but yeah really fun weekend the u.s opens next in june and should, should be another fun field um Michael Block won't be participating in that, but um, should be should be a lot of fun to look forward to and watch as we kind of progress through this golf season.
0: Yeah. Um, like you said, rare air for, for Brooks. Um, like really cool to see the climb back from him from with the knee injury um, career defining win, frankly. I mean, not a lot of guys win five majors. So he said he's one of 20 um and one of one of five to win three pga championships or more is is, is really special um yeah, like i said controversy or not about going to live it, it's it's really cool to see and, and you're always rooting for guys to kind of get healthy um guy that's been kind of you know uh got the, the two guys him and him and brooks or him and uh, bryson that have always kind of been i've um, talked about together in the recent you know three two to three years um Another guy's getting healthy. Had a really good weekend, I thought. Um, cool to see him get healthy as well. Uh, I will. I, I'm. I'm curious. Well, I said this first. Tough for Victor to to, to end it that way on 16. Um, unlucky. It's just. It's how it goes sometimes. Um, like I said, when he did that, I I kind of just said to my dad, I was like, man, Brooks is just. It's destiny for him to win um, today with that happening. I, I don't want to. I don't want Scotty's. You know, 65. Yeah, 500 par on the day to kind of get overshadowed. It, it, an awesome run from Scotty to get to seven under on, on the tournament. Um, in that final day, probably I I I, I usually say this a, little, a lot of the time, but if there was another day of golf, Scotty probably is winning that tournament. Or if he could get back the rain day on Saturday, he probably wins the tournament. But you know, it's an if and a but. Um, and a, you know, it's hypothetical, but don't want that to get overlooked either. Um, Scotty had a great a great final day and. Um, again, a commendable effort to get, um, you know, tied for second there. Um, I'm curious, though, I know there's kind of been a lot of a lot of talk kind of after the fact about kind of the way the PGA handled the announcement uh, of of Brooks as the champion. I know it was pretty normal kind of pre- pre- presentation of this, the trophy, but kind of the social media impact, how that went. I'm curious your take on it as a as a hardcore golf fan, how that's kind of the the lingering pettiness from the PGA with him winning their event. I just, I thought it was interesting. Um, wanted your take on it just since it's kind of before we get out of here with golf, your take on it and kind of how, um, if it's taken out of context, that kind of thing. Um, just wanted to kind of throw that spitball at you. Yeah. I mean, obviously
1: like we saw on the 18th green with the trophy presentation, we had the chairman of the PGA presenting the trophy and stuff like that. We also had the 20 or so members, of the pga you know all the highest members of the pga um, staff and corporation there to you know congratulate brooks and you saw a lot of guys pass through without shaking his hand or really saying much of anything to him and i think that's definitely a little petty um personally for me a little too petty because maybe if it was someone like bryson maybe i'd be a little more understanding but someone like brooks who was such a dominant player on the PGA tour when he was on it as of recently as last year. And for however long he was on, he grinded through the European tour, through the Indian tour. He was playing in a bunch of different countries. He built his way all the way up Um, for him to take home five majors, four of them being a part of your tour. I think it was a little low of them to do that. Um, Not something I probably would have expected, although something I could have seen happening. I don't think – it was going I thought it would probably happen to an extent not to the degree that it did um I wouldn't have really cared at all if I was if I was working with the PGA and had the chance to shake his hand I would shake his hand congratulate him I wouldn't have taken it too hard um I mean at the end of the day he he left to get money and around 100 mil is what he got to leave and I mean that's I mean any amount of money over a million is life-changing to an extent depending on who you are but for these professional athletes I mean I know Brooks has a lot of endorsements with Strixen his uh the company that provides him the golf balls and Nike is his biggest sponsor and he has a ton of sponsors and yeah you take home three mil every couple weeks but he did leave for money and I get why seeing that or I get why that could maybe leave a sore taste in a lot of the PGA guys mouse and kind of how they can't get over that with any of the live guys. I know Phil Mickelson's really tough. I would be a little, maybe a little more understanding just because of the kind of things he yeah. said. But yeah, he Phil, did a ton Phil's for the, the
0: tour as well. Yeah. Well, Phil's the guy that like Phil's the only guy that left. You go like, man, you didn't need the money. Everyone else, it's like, you know what? Boom. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Get your bag. Even Bryson, who you know, rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I understand. But Phil Phil was like the one guy I was like him hey, man you probably don't need the money. you're not gonna be golfing that much longer. I like maybe the longevity of his game and the and the comments he's made absolutely. High. If it was Phil, I get it and I'm and I'm not that mad about it. I'm not that twisted up about it like I would be for a guy like Brooks like he said, um, ambassador for the tour, what he did. I, believe what you want. The whole thing with him and Bryson was largely scripted, I think, and they fed into it and I think. Again, the way in which Brooks worked worked his way up the ranks is an ambassador for the game, right? I mean that he he helped grow the game a lot in the past three years. So, um, no, I'm with you. I I expected it to an extent. The degree in which it was it was kind of doled out, I thought was surprising and a little bit. It was frankly was rich for me. Uh, The PGA, correct me if I'm wrong, prides itself on its prestigiousness and. Golf is kind of the one of a sport that's very about, you know, class and, and the way in which you do things. And there are a lot of unwritten rules in golf that you follow and yada, yada, yada. For the PGA to stoop that low, I felt like was rich and really hypocritical and disappointing. Again, if it was Bryson or Phil, even with Phil, he's such an ambassador for the game again. Like he did so much on tour. Maybe you can get over it. Cam Smith, Bryson, guys who really didn't mean a ton to the tour, I can understand. But a guy like Brooks, I, I thought it was low. I thought the circumstances in which Brooks kind of came back and won this tournament, not come back again, not as an underdog, but like came back with the injury, that kind of thing. I'm with you there. I thought it was a little bit low. Um, but I just want to get your thoughts as a hardcore golf fan. I know um, I watch golf. I like it. I'm not, I'm not the hardcore fan that you are by any means. Um want to get your take as, as, as a less casual fan than I am, someone who's a little more invested um, week to week, um, kind of what you thought on it. But that's kind of all I wanted to get. I know we're kind of a little long winded there, but it's an interesting conversation. I think it's a something that I think I'm glad didn't get talked about a lot during the weekend. It was all after the weekend, um, kind of a byproduct of, of of the way that people made choices rather than like media driven. Um, but I was just curious what you thought. Um, I'll let you get to the upcoming tournament this next weekend and we'll and we'll kind of keep it pushing here.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, at the end of the day, these guys are out here to, you know, play the best they can, hitting the ball around a yeah. course. And you know, money is obviously a big factor, but should be fun to see how the season progresses. Kind of with the Lib guys coming back for the U.S. Open in June. This weekend, though, we do have the Charles Schwab Challenge um, that Michael Block will be playing in. At the Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas, Sam Burns won the event last year and the purse is 8.7 mil. Be the second straight week on a par 70 course. So expect to see a little lower scores this week as well. As the course will probably play a little tougher. You know, only two par fives is normally what makes a course par 70 compared to par 72, where you'd probably have four par fives. Um yeah, another course back in Texas here. Um a couple of Texas tournaments to bookend the PGA championship, so maybe in a couple years I'll hit up the Byron Nelson and the uh, Charles Schwab if I can once I graduate, but should be fun. Um, Probably not a great field going into this week just because of a lot of guys coming off the major might take a week off, um, use one of their weeks off this week. And, I mean, no doubt Sam Burns will be there defending his uh, championship from last year. A little smaller event, like I said, only 8.7, but still should be a good field. yeah, I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing some golf. I like whether it's a big or a small tournament. Obviously, the bigger tournaments are more enjoyable because there's more on the line, and that's what people like watching um, with so much volatility and so much between each shot that could change in an instant. So, um, looking forward to it. I think this PGA Field is going to strengthen as the season goes on. Got a lot of new guys that are going to get more and more experience. We're going to get Will Zalatoris back in a few months as well, which is big. Uh, he was a top 10 guy when he left. Justin Thomas has played well. Jordan Spieth is you know, slowly healing from that wrist injury that he had to wear some KT tape and a wrist tape this week. Um, so we'll, get, we'll see the field get better and better as the season goes, and I think the U.S. Open and the Open uh, will be really good tournaments and have really solid um, fields. I think the U.S. Open is at, in L.A. this year. So I expect great atmosphere for that one. But yeah, looking forward to the Charles Schwab this week. Um, kind of see how it goes.
0: Yeah. Like you said, it to be cool to see Michael block there. Um really excited to kind of see what his performance is. Um, whether or not he wins or doesn't make the cut. It's a really cool story. He's living the dream. I know you say you're taking the top 15. I hope he does. I'm, I'm pulling for it. Um, question is. <laughs> what does he need to place to get an exemption for next week? That's the real question, right? Like, like, does he need to win? Does he need to go top two, top three, top five, top 10? What do you like? What do you think? Like he finishes top 10. They're calling on me like, Hey, we're going to give you, we're going to let you keep playing. You're on a heater. Like we're gonna let you keep going.
1: I will say, so next weekend we have the Memorial that is in Ohio. And I know the Memorial already handed out all of their exemptions. So I don't know if there's a way you yeah. can get in, at least from an exemption side he can't get in. I don't know if he could qualify, just with it being a prior tournament in the Charles Schwab. If he plays well enough or would happen to win it, he might. Other than that, he would not receive an exemption, uh, as they already handed them all out. I know the following week at the RBC Canadian Open in Toronto, he will be playing, as they did offer him offer him an exemption. So um kind of three tournaments in four weeks here if he does not participate in the memorial next week uh unfortunately but hey i mean he's already won nearly 300 grand he still has two more tournaments so i mean you could see him taking home 500,000 in a span of three in a span of a month i think i mean that's about all you could ask for and i think him being a 47 year old he's one of the oldest guys playing week to week or i guess these couple of weeks and I think, oh, I think he's going to do well. Hopefully he does. Should be fun to see. Um, But, yeah, I don't know if he'll be able to make the Memorial Field or not. Um, I think that would come down to how he does this week. Um, but, yeah, moving on to college baseball here. Going to be quick. Um, Obviously, we missed a few weeks of college baseball action, so we're not going to have any recaps this week. We're going to have a conference tournament preview and predictions as the big name conference tournaments start on Wednesday or or Tuesday or Wednesday. I think SEC starts tomorrow. Big 12 starts on Wednesday. I'm not sure about the others. I know like Ivy League and a few others have already started. Um, But getting into it, we'll spend about 30 seconds on each conference here. We're going to start with ACC. My pick is Clemson. I know they're not the highest ranked and they have Wake Forest, obviously, right up there at the top yeah Boston College uh Louisville's been real cold, but Clemson's the hottest team in the country, and I think any one game that you need to win, which is how the tournament works, it's double elimination, but you only need to win one game, and I think they can do that um you know, they've beat everyone in their path recently, I think they have nine straight conference wins, so um you know if they make a championship against, I'm not sure how the bracket looks, but if they play wake in the semi or the final um I might be taking Clemson
0: going wake. They're, they're, the, the the death row of pitchers that they have is just it's unfair they have three of like three of the ten best starters in college baseball and two of the five best relievers in college but i mean it their pitching staff is disgusting and i think in playoff baseball it really matters and i think that um in this conference tournament i'll take them talk about a different different deal with with the third straight year probably the number one overall seed getting upset in their own regional or super talk about that later with them but um for now I'm gonna take I'm gonna take them to win the ACC tournament um big 12 like I said starting this week um up in Dallas out in Arlington I'm gonna go with Texas as much as it pains me to do I'm taking Texas they're hot right now um they look really good playing really dominant baseball they're they're a seasoned team that's been here before um and they're kind of they figured it out they're clicking they're I mean they're they're peaking at the right time I mean they're kind of getting to the peak right now. Uh maybe it's a week or too early, I guess you could say, but I, I'm taking Texas to win the tournament.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of had a tough time with this. I was going to say West Virginia, but then they got swept by
0: uh um, yeah.
1: Texas. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's in the easy side of the bracket. Um that's fair. They are facing off. They face Oklahoma opening day and then they play the winner of that game, Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma, who I think Oklahoma State just swept Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma State will then play the winner if they win of Texas Tech versus West Virginia so I think the bracket is a little more even a little more maybe not as strong but a little more even to where you're not going to have a like a throwaway game like even Oklahoma I think will play pretty well being the 7th yeah. seed in the tourney um, so I'm going to say Oklahoma State wins it just gonna, they're going to have a little more competitive um, overall tournament but yeah. that doesn't stop You know anyone else from winning? I think last year we saw Oklahoma go on the crazy run to the College World Series. I think we saw that coming from, you know, a while back, um, back before they played us. They were really hot. Um, Mm -hmm. Moving on to the Big Ten here. I'm going Indiana. This was a tough choice for me. Another one. Um, Maryland's the one seed in the Big Ten. Michigan is always a player. Indiana is normally a player, but I'm going to go with Indiana. They're another team that's been hot. Um, They have a rare um combination of good pitching and good hitting. While neither of them are necessarily stellar, um they have the offense or the pitching to put you
0: away any night. I'll be biased for you and take Maryland. Um I like the way they're playing right now. Big Ten's kind of a crapshoot, I feel like, and they were a team that was consistently ranked. They were consistently playing good ball all year. I know Iowa had their their kind of crazy peak at the beginning with, with um with Brecht and so but but I'm gonna take um I'm I'm gonna take Maryland consistency matters and I think it's going to come up big for them this weekend SEC baby um this is where it's at this was tough for me I I actually I want I look I thoroughly looked at the bracket to see how this is going to shake out and I I originally wanted to take Arkansas but I realized they're going to get LSU likely in a semi and I think that's really going to hurt them um so I took Florida who would see Vanderbilt in a semi um a team that they just swept so I'm going to take Florida Playing, how I mean, they're they're the hottest team in the country right now, other than maybe other than Clemson. Um, they're one of the hottest teams in the country. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go I'm to go Florida. Um, take care of business.
1: Yeah, I'm going Florida as well.
0: Um, this is the easier pick for me
1: than probably most would pick out of the SEC. Obviously, the SEC is loaded. Um, yeah. you know, seven, six or seven top ten teams for the whole season. Um, Crazy. I mean, anyone can win this. I think you look at Arkansas, you look at LSU, um, a few other teams even. I think Vandy, with their experience, their coaching, I just they've always been yeah. there. I wouldn't be surprised to see them win it. Um, but Florida's just really hot. They've had solid pitching. They have great offense. And that's pretty much what it takes to win you know, in May and June. So I'm going with Florida, moving on to the Pac-12. I'm going with Stanford, the one seed. Um, I think I picked two. Out of the five big Power Five conferences, I picked the one seed to win it. Florida and Stanford. Going Stanford here, um, they're a little sh- more shaky than you would want to see in a one seed, and I think that's just from a weaker baseball conference this year. Um, you know, Oregon and Oregon State were hot, but they've each had their cold spells. And I think Stanford, as experienced, they're always seeming to be a top eight seed. Um, they're on track to host. Um, definitely regional and what would probably be a super regional if they, you know, won the regional, but um, I know they swept us in the supers two years ago and they really have looked really one. good ever since. Um, so I'm going with Stanford to win the PAC 12 tourney.
0: Going to Oregon state. Uh, I picked three ones uh, in wake Maryland and Florida, um, but go to Oregon state here, they're hot as of late kind of jumped up in the rankings here in the past few weeks um, experience uh it comes down to a culture it's a it's a culture it, culture business is a big culture like the moment can't be too big for a lot of these guys uh and oregon state culture there is, is second to none um talk about a west coast environment that feels like a Pac-12 or a, uh, an sec environment at times at home in oregon state and corvallis so gonna take the the, the culture there in oregon state and um pick them to win the, the pac-12 tournament um but that kind of wraps it up we'll get uh maybe after the conference tournament we'll get what kind of a a big picture kind of outlook um maybe specialize an episode kind of tailor it towards that uh we'll kind of keep it keep it on baseball here getting to the mlb um i'll let you take the al east first since you got the orioles in here um but yeah we'll kind of keep pushing the mlb and um if you you don't have to read off each team's i know we're kind of rolling on a marathon here you just kind of want to run through these divisions quickly if we want to keep it a little shorter um couple notes on there about the records and stuff but if we want to kind of roll through it quicker you can if you want to or if you want to take time to the the, uh the records we can Up to you
1: yeah real quick um al east best division in baseball right now they have five of the top seven teams in the whole american league blue jays are in the cellar and they're three games over 500 eight and a half back red sox are five (laughs) games over 500 seven and a half back yankees are nine games over five and a half back orioles are 15 games over Two and a half back of the Rays, who have the best record in baseball, currently at 30 games over 500. Excuse me, 20 games over 500. Um, Really competitive conference. Orioles are traveling to New York, starting tomorrow. Big three-game series between the two. If New York swept, they'd be tied record-wise. I mean, huge series. Overall, just a great division. Everyone's been hot for most of the season. I think the Orioles have only lost three series, um, I think the Rays have lost four just because they swept four series to start the season, so a little more room for error as of late. Um, but they've looked a little worse than they did initially. Um, but yeah, I mean, excited to see how the series plays out. I don't know who's going to make the playoffs and who's not, but it seems like they all should.
0: Yeah, it's going to be A's is going to be, I think, a historic division this year, just with all the teams over 500. Um, historically bad division potentially in the AL Central. Um. With the Twins having the exact same record as the Blue Jays, three games over 500 lead the division by three and a half games, uh, followed by the Tigers, the Guardians, the White Sox, and the Royals, who kind of rounded out in the cellar there. With the reverse record of the Rays at 14 and 34, um, they have the second worst record in the majors, only behind, uh, only ahead of maybe the worst state a franchise has ever been in, in baseball, in the, in the Oakland Athletics right now. Just with the horrendous play on field, the... Fans in the stadium like calling for the owner to sell the team. I mean, this is like, this is like Cleveland Browns type stuff. We're like, this is two thousands Browns we're seeing. I mean, this is this is an epic display of just horrible organizational management of uh, just organization from top to bottom. They're terrible. So, um, but yeah, terrible division. The AL Central. Um, this will be like, like when it's like when a a seven and nine team makes their, I guess, an eight and nine team makes the playoffs in the NFL. Like that's what it'll be. the The Twins will win the division, barely over five hundred, winning eighty four games, and they'll make the playoffs, which is beyond me. When the entire AL East might be better than them, so part of what sucks about this kind of thing with with baseball sometimes. Um, but yeah, AL AL Central sucks.
1: <laughs> in short, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think every sport should go away with the division winner being automatic and then the three wild cards i think it should just be straight up you know however many teams you let in the playoffs from each league it should be just the yep. top seven teams or top six teams um, yep. be a lot more competitive and no one really cares to see a 500 team in the playoff um rounding out the al here though with the al west we have the athletics 28 games under 500 20 games back of the division already, and. I think they're probably a month away from being eliminated. Um, probably one of the bigger surprises is the Mariners being two games under right now, five and a half back. Thought they'd be you know, probably five games over. Um, a little slow start to the season for them, but still a ton of time left. Angels not playing too bad, two games over, 500 right now, five back. Astros eight games over in second, two, ga- two games back of the Texas Rangers that lead the division right now. At 12 games over, 29 and 17, they have the fourth best record in the MLB. So, a strong start by the Rangers. Um, They do benefit from playing, you know, a few bad teams in the division. Uh, But a a couple really good games this past week. Um, And, yeah, I mean, that rounds out the AL. AL is not looking too great outside of the AL East. You probably, I mean, if I pick the top seven teams right now, it's the AL East. It's the Astros and it's the Rangers. So, I mean, you're leaving out the L Central, and I mean, there's your playoff field if you want seven teams. So we'll move on to the NL, but yeah, I wish uh, the divisions were a little more equal.
0: Yeah, um, I'll echo that for sure, and then I'll second it. Just for reference, real fast, um, in the 21st century, the worst record in in a season is 43 and (laughs) 119. Of all of these teams, that are before that in the top 10. Um, the only one that the team is still the same name is 1962 when the Mets won 40 games. The the two teams at the top, the Cleveland Spiders in 1899 won 20 games, uh, 20 and 134. And then the Pittsburgh Alleghenies won 23 in 1890. The A's are going to have a historically bad season. Um, they will probably win more than 20 games. Brother, they're gonna have the worst record since two thousand, since nineteen seventy, since nineteen sixty
1: five. Yeah, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go thirty eight wins for them. I'm gonna go thirty eight. I,
0: mean, I mean, it's impressively bad. Um, like the MLB is gonna have to step in and like legitimately do something because this is this I mean, is it's heinous. They might lose the most games ever. They, need, they might. They need lose, to get to
1: like, Vegas.
0: So bad. They so badly have to get to Vegas. It's not even funny. Um, yeah, they might they might lose the most games ever, genuinely, um, which would be just an atrocity for the sport. But I uh, will keep going with the rankings here. National League East, uh, Nationals, not shocking in the cellar here. The Phillies are pretty surprisingly two games under 500, Um, seven back of the leader. I think they'll figure it out. Health has been tough for them this year. The pitching has been rough. I think they'll, they'll probably make a big move at the deadline and kind of make a push. Uh, Marlins are a game over 500 Mets are two games over 500. Have a, I think they've won eight of their last 10, um, really struggled to open the year. Um, kind of figured it out. Uh, two games over 500. Now up. I think they're way won six straight, uh, eight of their last 10. So really on a good run right now in the month of May. And then the Braves sitting with a third best record in baseball at 29, 17 leading the division. Um, no shock there. I think we'll probably see the Braves running with the division again, but, um, the Mets and the Phillies probably make a push late in the year with some acquisitions. Yeah, Braves look good.
1: Uh, they just had a really, really fun series with the Orioles. Um, you know, the Mets are fine right now. Marlins, Phillies, Nationals, Phillies are underperforming. Um, you know, Trey Turner's not having a great start to the season. And I think the Nationals, I mean, they're they're probably not going to, I mean, they're probably going to stay in the bottom of the division, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, Marlins are going to be probably a little under 500 for the whole season. Um, Just they don't have the overall roster to make a, you know, get through 162-game season at a good pace, I don't think. Uh, Moving on to the NL Central, though. We have Cincinnati Reds. They're eight games under 500 right now, six back. Chicago Cubs are in fourth, and they are six under at five back. Cardinals are six games under 500 as well. A little bit of a disappointment for them so far, five back pirates are two games over 500 one game back of the nl central leading milwaukee brewers that are four games over 500 um i mean i'd say about what i expected shocker that the pirates are second two games over um they've cooled off a lot since the first few weeks of the season um, yeah i expected them for be to be fourth in division which they still very well could but nonetheless surprising to see them kind of jump out to the start overall um I mean anyway, it should be a fun division overall competing within each other now in the grand scheme of things not a very good division just they're all fairly evenly matched I think
0: yeah Cardinals really stumbled out the gate big time they've won they're on a heater right now they've won like I want to say like 12 of their last 16 games or something I mean they've won, they've won a ton of games recently um I don't know if it was that crazy but it. They've won a bunch of games. They just finished up a three-game, a three-to-one win against the Dodgers, or series win against the Dodgers in St. Louis. Um, their their bats are, I mean, they've scored like 10-plus runs in uh, I don't know how many of their last a bunch of games, but a, but a lot. Um, so they've kind of figured it out. It's just kind of a matter of digging themselves out of the hole. I'm getting the NL West though. The Rockies in the cellar, um, nine-and-a-half back. Padres really slow out the gate. Um Historically, a bad start offensively for them uh, 21 and 26, five games under 500. Um, the Giants are right about 500, two games under. Um, and then the Diamondbacks, a surprising team here. I think um, nobody thought they'd be out to a 27 20 start. Um, a game and a half back of the Dodgers at 29 and 19 with the fifth best record in baseball. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't think anybody expected it. It's really cool to see. I don't, I don't know if they maintain it. Um, obviously, Zach Gallen is on another planet right now. Um, the guy is unbelievable at the moment i think he's gonna be all year um so we'll see if they maintain it offensively I don't, I don't know if they will we'll see um dodgers slow start they really picked it up the month of bay has been pretty kind to them um up until lately dustin may hulu Arias both going on the injured list gonna miss a, i think a, a start or two for both of those guys um ice bath i'll get to with uh, the guys replacing them in the rotation tonight and tomorrow night uh, which will be really exciting um, they're in Atlanta right now, and then they, I think they're in Atlanta for four, and then they're in Tampa for three. It's a really tough stretch for the Dodgers here. Um, I mean, shoot, if they can win three of the next seven, I'm happy. I mean, it's it, on the road against those, those kind of teams. Um, it should be, I think the series in Atlanta, um, is going to be a, a, a playoff type atmosphere. I think these are two, um, heavyweights in, in the National League, um, separated by a game. Um, Dodgers just played two more games than the Braves have. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a great series. Uh, and I'll definitely get into my excitement about um, tonight, but especially tomorrow night for the start for them. Um, yeah, baseball kind of course corrected a little bit for the most part. Um, the Pirates cooled off. Cardinals have picked it up. I, I think I, I expect the Padres to pick it up. They're just too talented not to. Um, and I would say I probably expect the Diamondbacks to cool off a little bit. Um, I would expect one of those teams in the AL East to really cool, like have to go through like a, a rough patch here. Just what the schedule is going to get really tough in, in in the month of June. I think June, July, you get a lot of, uh, you know, divisional matchups. I think that one of those teams is going to hit a slump. If I had to guess, it's probably the Red Sox. Um, it's my guess, but we'll see. Um, and then at Rangers, man, they keep it going. I don't know if they're going to keep it up, but it, a great start to their year. Kind of what they've been looking for for the, you know, that feels like the past, five six seven years for them with the big spending so good to see that for them um they're my al team i've claimed them a while back i'm actually gonna get to see them play in dc um play the nationals which would be cool um fun little experience there i'll get to go to um but nfl wise um not much um i'll let you get the some of this free agency stuff if you want to i'll get some rules and dates here. Um, the big one, I guess, really the only the, the biggest one is today the NFL approved owners approved the rule change to allow NFL teams to have an additional third quarterback active on game days. Essentially, what this means is, um, so on game days, it used to be player NFL teams had 53 man roster, you can have 47 players active, which means you can elevate a guy from the practice squad for the for the game and make a guy and make a 53 man guy inactive, um, but uh, the third quarterback can be added to the active roster for game day as a 48th edition. This this player must be on the 53-man roster. You can't elevate him from the practice squad. Um, if teams elect not to utilize this th- this emergency quarterback spot, um, they'll remain at a cap of 47 active players on game day. So it's not like they're giving you a th- an extra slot for a DB or a receiver or a running back or whatever. Like, it's it's this 48th slot is only for a quarterback. I think you're going to see every team do this. I think you saw, like, the Ravens just signed Josh Johnson the other day. Chargers drafted Max Duggan for our team specifically in the seventh round. So I think you're going to see these these guys be that third quarterback, uh, 48th active player on game day. Um, Still have to win the 53. Wouldn't shock me if the 53 went to 54 next year. Um, But, yeah, no, uh, that's kind of the big rule change again. That player must be on the 53-man roster. And... It's essentially you can expand to 48 if it's a quarterback. If you don't want to use the third quarter, if you don't want to carry the third quarterback, you're capped at 47 still. So, um, that's kind of the biggest update. And then real, I guess, real quick, 2025 NFL draft is in Green Bay. Uh, cool for that city to get to have that. Um, and then the NFL release schedule for the 2023 season. Um, the schedule released a, while, a couple, I think, a couple weeks ago. Now it's all been gone by quick like a blur but um we'll do an nfl like schedule like preview episode i don't know when it'll come out it might be one of the ones that we kind of record and if we get busy with something over the summer we just kind of release it it won't really change with time for the most part um so yeah that, that'll that be one that we do maybe a, de- a dedicated episode to um talk about you know matches we want to see that kind of thing um, but that's kind of all like the administrative stuff if you will housekeeping for the nfl i'll let you get into some of the player movement um, and kind of the couple of things that we saw.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um,
0: I'm excited about
1: the third quarterback active. Obviously, it won't matter in nine probably nineteen out of twenty games you watch, but in that one game, it will matter. like we saw um, the NFC championship last year with Brock Purdy going down. Um, you know, they didn't really have a quarterback, and Christian McCaffrey was kind of warming up to be that guy. And then under this rule, you won't have to have that anymore. It'll be a big-time rule because a lot of teams I know don't carry three quarterbacks because they'd rather have that depth elsewhere. Now it won't matter. It won't affect the roster, you know, kind of the game day roster construction and depth chart. Um, It'll just give you an added quarterback, which is big. But going back um, almost four weeks, the night before the draft, the Jaguars re-signed their D-tackle Devon Hamilton to a three-year, $34.5 million deal. 23 mil of that is fully guaranteed, includes incentives as well. Brings the max compensation up to thirty-six million or twelve million dollars annually. This deal also includes eighteen point seven million in year one. Um, and also, after selecting Jameer Gibbs with the twelfth overall pick, the Detroit Lions traded running back DeAndre Swift to the Philadelphia Eagles. And what the Eagles sent back to Detroit in return was a 2025 fifth fourth and a seventh round pick swap. So um, nothing huge there for DeAndre. I think this was a big pickup for Philly that lost Miles Sanders. Um needs kind of, you know, a big time running back that I think could I mean DeAndre Swish should have a pretty big role like we saw with Miles Sanders last year. I think Miles had like twelve hundred yards. Um but yeah, just a couple interesting moves that were made within the draft. Obviously we talked about the Lamar, Deagle and his extension, um, back on the draft recap episode that we had three Mondays ago. Um, But yeah, overall, that's pretty much it. Nothing too big. Um, In the NFL, since we talked, I think there's still a few big signings to be had. I think Ezekiel Elliott's still out there. Um, A few other guys that you probably won't see sign until we get in the training camp, until some guys get injured. Maybe OTAs. Maybe someone gets injured in OTAs and someone needs a player at this position and they got to sign this guy. So, Still a lot of um, decorated players available for you know to sign with any team, and we'll see who signs with who. But rounding it out here, um, you know, we expected this to be a long episode, being first episode in three weeks, um, first episode since the draft, other than the draft recap. And just a lot of stuff went down in pretty much every sport we talk about. So expected it to be longer, but looking back, kind of with the draft over just hoping that one of the Ravens late rounders um, or undrafted free agents pan out. I mean, they normally hit on these guys more so than any other team. I just hope they keep them because a lot of the times the guys they hit on get to in a second, they let go elsewhere and they have decorated careers elsewhere. Unfortunately. Um, but I'm really excited about the Ravens class. You know, they went into it with only five picks, obviously Lamar signing right before round one started was big, got me even more excited. Um, yeah, pretty good class overall. I think they had good value for the most part. Um, You know, in terms of undrafted guys, well, they traded back into the draft in the seventh round to make six picks to draft Andrew Voorhees, who could have been a second or third round pick had he not torn his ACL at the combine. Was still the strongest player at the combine um, on the bench press. Should be fun to see he should start at left guard in 2024, I would think, Um, just knowing the playbook by then, really having everything Worked out should have a full off season after um, this upcoming season concludes, and they had two UDFA's that I'm really excited about, and Keaton Mitchell, running back out of East Carolina, who I thought could have been a fourth or fifth rounder, and Dante Dimas, the receiver out of Maryland, too. another guy probably fifth rounder. Um, and while these guys, I mean, they're day three picks, still still really exciting to get these guys as undrafted guys, still come in, compete for a spot on the roster, and I think they might both make it. I mean. Um, they offer things that, that are the current rooms that they're going into don't currently possess, and should be fun to see how these positional battles play out through the course of the offseason and OTAs, training camp, stuff like that. Um, but in terms of UDFAs that the Ravens have signed, uh, Jeff Saturday, James Harrison, Bart Scott, Brandon Stokely, Sam Cook, Ryan Jensen, Darren Waller, Matt Judon, Z'Darrius Smith, Priest Holmes, and Justin Tucker, just some of the guys that the Ravens have taken in the fifth round or later or UDFAs since their inception 27 years ago. So a lot of big name guys there. You see guys that are still playing like, you know, Jensen, Waller, Judon and Zadarius, Justin Tucker, Sam Cook, who just retired, um, and some older guys too. So I just hope they, you know, hit on them. They normally have at least one make the roster every year other than 2021. I think they've had one literally every year um just looking forward to see how the roster shakes out and how it progresses and you know ultimately you're gonna have some injuries kind of who steps up in the you know injured guy's absence uh is always a fun thing to see and it's just a bummer the injuries are a thing but that's just how the league works especially being as physical as it is um so i'm really looking forward to this nfl season i think we haven't really talked about it at all since the draft and i'm just excited for it i know otas are getting going today for all, most teams and She's excited for the you know kickoff of the season with the Lions going to KC, I believe, or no, uh, yeah, Lions going to KC,
0: Lions on Thursday KC, night, yeah. and yeah. uh, should be fun. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, I think it'll be, I think NFL is gonna be great as is. Um, Chargers, we got six prime time primetime games, which I'm really excited about. Um, I think I'm gonna try and go out and see their game in Nashville, uh, which will be really cool. Um. But, yeah, they got a lot of primetime games. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Um, my ice bat this week, um, going back to the Dodgers, um, like I said, Julio, Reyes, Dustin May, each on the injured list. Um, short stints, expected to be short stints. I think expecting Julio and May to both both miss two starts, I think, because um, tonight one was supposed to start. They, I think Julio was supposed to start tonight and May was supposed to go tomorrow. Uh, in their place, though, are uh, rookies Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller um bobby miller being uh, a top 20 prospect in the mlb i believe he's ranked 19th overall dodgers number two for overall prospect top pitching prospect gavin stone i believe is a top 40 or 50 prospect i believe he's the dodgers third or fourth ranked prospect um gavin Stone made a start previously um kind of say he was feeling sick the, the kind of the day before it didn't really have his stuff um pitched pretty well had an error kind of threw him off the off his rhythm gave up a few runs um But again, for Bobby Miller, it's his first start tonight uh, or tomorrow night. Sorry. Um, I think I'm more excited for Miller because he's kind of been more of the premier prospect the last few years. I think Um, going back to his last kind of last time he saw a major league talent was in a spring training game last year uh, against the Angels in Los Angeles at home in the in the in the blue spring training unis where he struck out Shove Otani twice, um, struck out trout. Um, He froze Otani 101, 101 mile an hour fastball. He's got wicked stuff. Um, his last outing was really great. He able really to give up a run in uh, his last outing. gave up, I think, over six innings, five hits. I think he had six K's. Got to 101.4 four different times. Um, so he, he's got electric stuff. I'm really excited for him, uh, for his start tomorrow night. I know in Atlanta is really really tough. It's it's one of the deepest lineups in baseball. Um, for a young guy to kept to go up against that is hard. But um, you know, again, it's 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 good good work for him. I think um. You know, getting both these guys in here—that's now the—I guess—with Stone already up and now Miller getting up here—it brings the uh, tally of rookies for the Dodgers that have uh, logged service time this year to seven. Uh, with those seven being obviously Stone and Miller, um, and then you get uh, Miguel Vargas and James Altman, who are everyday starters. James Altman, probably the leading National League, National League uh, rookie of the year candidate. Um, those four, uh, Michael Bush got some time up, um, had a clutch hit in extras. Um, a while back against the Padres, um, Michael Grove got a start, start in the beginning of the year, and then Ryan Pepio is on the injured list, but he's still getting service time, so he'll, he's, he's going to make a start for them this year at some point. I, I kind of assume whenever, um, you know, depending, assuming Miller and Stone are going to go back down to AAA, um, Ryan Pepio probably takes over the starting role for Noah Snergaard, um, if everyone's healthy, um, kind of when he gets done with his injury on the uh, injured on the IL. So. But no, overall really excited. Um, kind of this youth movement in LA. Um, it's uh it's definitely different. It's not what kind of the Dodgers have had in the past, but I think they're still on pace to win like 90 plus games. I think they're still gonna win the division. I think it's really cool to see kind of this infusion of youth with with the veteran talent they have on this team. Obviously, they didn't spend big this offseason Um, kind of in preparation to make the run at Shohei Otani. Uh, it sounds like they're you know early early indications are there. He's probably gonna land there. Um, obviously, it's you know a long time till December, so we don't really know yet. But again, I think um, the balance of infusing this young talent with this team, um, you know, it's, it's going to happen at some point, and, and and it's probably earlier than I expected to in May, with Stone and Miller going back to back here in, in Atlanta. But I think I'm, I'm I'm really excited. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I'm not expecting either of these either of these games to be wins. I think um, the matchups are. I think I think it's Miller versus Spencer Strider tomorrow night, which is. Spencer's one of the best pitchers in the majors right now. Um, it's going to be tough, but again, um, really excited for these two guys. Really excited to see Bobby Miller start. It's Miller time. Going to have to crack on a couple of Miller lights uh, for the, for the boy. Um, but no, I'm really excited. it will be a really great time. Um, super pumped. Again, I'm, I'm taking it with a grain of salt, I'm not putting a whole bunch of stock into these games uh, for them to win. It's, it's mid-May, but again, it's just good for these guys to get the time in the majors and see what they're made of and, um, you know, see if maybe one of them can stick in the majors and can be a key critical piece for them when kind of this injured stretch. You assume it's a matter of time before Kershaw gets hurt, gets banged up, probably goes in the IL. He's he's not going to pitch the whole year. Same so probably goes for Gonzalez. So, um, yeah, hopefully these guys look good. I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. Um, you know, obviously Orioles had a high ranked pitching prospect in Grayson Rodriguez. He's been up the whole season. Um, has had a few great starts and a few rough starts, and that's just bound to happen early on in guys' careers. Um, But it's an exciting time when your team has young players coming up, kind of a breath of fresh air um, when you have these highly touted guys. um, They garner a lot of attention and have high expectations, and it's fun to watch them at the high stage perform what they're always destined to do. Um, Yeah, should be fun to see how things go and how it plays out over the course of the season. But we should be back next week for Episode 50. um, Episode 50 coming. and looking forward to it uh shouldn't be anything different probably just updates on everything that we've talked about it should be a shorter episode i know this episode's about two hours um but that's just because i mean we're covering basically four weeks of content across five different sports so um should be interesting to see you know kind of how things play out over the next week with the nhl and nba and you know kind of what goes down in the mlb um and how, and how the Charles Schwab Challenge and, you know, Michael Block do um, yeah, I mean, in the tournament. So we'll be uh, recapping all that and previewing what's next on the Cold Seat Podcast. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast. Try to get you all the latest news and always uh talk about when the latest episodes come out. So stay tuned in for that. Stay tuned in for the episodes coming out each week now. Um, and we will see
0: you all in a week. Yeah. See you guys soon.